Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks. Vicky's over in Deeper Starks, Oxfordshire. So Vicky, who have we got on the podcast today? Oh, well, we are in for a treat today, Sam, because we have Hayley Lewis with us. And Hayley is, um, I'm hopefully you're going to explain this a little bit more, Hayley, for us, but she is a pracademic an organisational behaviour expert and a psychologist. So it's the first time we've had a proper grown-up qualified person. That, that's not <laughs> being, gosh, disrespectful to any of our other guests that we've had on. But we're just, we're going into a different area today. So I'm super excited that we have Hayley on. And Hayley, I hope you're ready because we're going to be picking your brain. And I came across Hayley on LinkedIn with the amazing illustrations that she does, which I often, often share on our amplified LinkedIn. So it's a real privilege to have you with us today, Hayley. One of the things that we find in the work that we do with our clients, one of the areas that is really difficult is around having difficult conversations. And so that is the topic for today. Brilliant. That's Fantastic. right on my alley. And, and I have good. to say the privilege is all mine. I always I always feel really honoured when when people ask me to be on their podcast so it's really the privilege is mine well you're, you're, you're most welcome it's great to have you on board perhaps you'd be so kind as to give us a something of a potted career history before we start I honestly I thought Vicky was introducing three guests there so you'd best fill us in yeah I like to wear many hats um so I have worked as a psychologist I've worked in the field of organizational and business psychology for 22 years I did a variety of dead-end jobs after undergrad before then like we all do just to pay the rent um very potted history so I spent the early part of my career um at the BBC as an in-house psychologist working on culture change and leadership and management development really cut my teeth there I then pivoted into local government um, and I only intended to go into to the public sector for a couple of years as part of my grand plan and ended up falling completely in love with the sector, the fact that it's here to help the most vulnerable people in society and ended up spending 11 years um, in local government and went into a variety of different roles. Um, I think I think because of my background as a psychologist specialising in organisational performance and culture, it kind of set me up to go in a variety of leadership roles. Five years ago, I set up my first business, Halo Psychology, and I work with sector, all sorts of sectors. I primarily work with leadership teams on culture change, on um, leadership and management development programmes, and high performance teams. So yeah, that's, that's a very potted history. There's so much more I could say. Fantastic. Really interesting run. So why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? So um, to be completely honest, I actually fell into the field by, it was a kind of combination of accident and, and serendipity. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. I actually, my first degree, my undergrad was, my major was history. And I always had visions of, of kind of being a historian, working in a museum, because um, I've always loved history that didn't quite work out because there aren't many jobs like that. Um, and then it happens to, I, I was asked, um, so I, I was working at BBC in a kind of an admin role and I was asked to help out at some leadership team event in the Lake District. It was like a three-day event. 
And on the last night, um, I happened to be sat next to the director of the team um, and he asked me what I thought of the three days. Now, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, I, I have to admit. And so I told him exactly what I thought. That I thought it was a waste of money. I couldn't see the outcomes that have been achieved. I mean, what a precocious 24-year-old. And on the way back from the Lake District, I thought, I'm going to get my P45. And actually what happened was my boss called me into the office and said, the director really liked what you had to say, thought you were really insightful, and we'd like to move you into the psychology team and help you develop as a as a psychologist because we think you you have something that would set you up for success in that kind of field so then i I went on do you remember ask jeeves i went on to ask jeeves what is occupational psychology and um yeah so i did a master's and and the and the rest is history um there's a there's quite a long process to qualify so lots of people call themselves psychologists, but not everybody is a qualified psychologist. So there's a there's quite a long journey to go on. Um, so, yeah. And I, I happen to love what I do. I love helping teams. I love helping people become self-sufficient. I always see it as a failure on my part. If I keep being called back in for the same issue, I see my job and responsibility in helping um, individuals and teams become self-sufficient, have the skills, the confidence, the competence to do what they need to do so that I can let go of the bike seat and they can cycle off into the sunset. But I, I love nice what I do. You asked earlier, Vicky, about what, why pracademic? Because people always get intrigued by that. Yeah. So I have a foot in the practitioner space, yes. the real world, as I call it, yes. and a foot in the academic space. So I'm an yeah. evidence-based practitioner. Um when I'm working with clients, I'm, I'm using scientific studies, I'm using case studies as a way to back up the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. But conversely, when I'm working with my postgrad students, I'm bringing the real world in to yeah. challenge some of the theories cool. and concepts we're taught as psychologists, because quite frankly, some of them are nonsense. Um, and I think one of the reasons, so a lot of my clients are repeat clients, they'll, they'll come back again and again, or it's word of mouth. I don't have to, to do like ads or, or anything like that and I think one of the consistent pieces of feedback I get is because I've walked in this I've been an operational manager I've been in yeah, strategic leadership exactly. roles I know how it feels when you've when you've restructured your team for the fifth time in a year or you've got that person who was originally your highest performing person and suddenly they've become the bane of your life you know I've I've seen it all um and I've got the scars, but I also back it up with a deep yeah. scientific understanding of what makes people tick in the workplace. And I think people really respond to that. Interesting. Now that's cool, that mix of knowing the sort of the theory and the and, and more than theory, I suppose, the research behind it, but mixing that with genuine real world experience is going to be quite powerful. Mm. Yeah, that was the word I was just thinking of. It's powerful. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's fab that you're Fantastic. here. Thank you so much. Great. So today's conversation is about tough conversations. This is a very comfortable, easy, pleasant conversation. Um, Vicky, you said a few times that that was one of our one of the biggest challenges that you have in helping leaders. Now, I'm you know, this is bitter experience for me when I first moved into a sort of a management and then a relatively sort of senior management role. I found this stuff really, really tough. Um, partly, I think, because I'd moved from being alongside people to being their boss. You know, that's always a difficult thing. Um, secondly, I guess I didn't have any experience of it. 
And maybe, maybe I'm a little bit of a conflict avoider. So I, I didn't want to ha- pull people up on stuff and have really difficult conversations. And then when I did, I think I probably went in all guns blazing and, and went in far, far, far too hard and pissed people off. So it took me quite a while to sort of learn a bit of a balance there. So maybe that's one, one of the reasons we find this so tough. But do other people find it tough or is it just me? No, it's definitely not just you. In fact, just, just today I've had a former client um, who I worked with. I did some teams of team coaching with them a couple of years ago. It's a large charity. And they've come through today and said there's there's some conflict brewing between two members of my team. So one of the team managers and one of their direct reports. And I need to talk through with you how we help them. Um, and this is part and parcel. Uh, I would say at least a few times a week, it comes up in a client conversation, either in a coaching session or it will come up in a workshop with managers where the thing they worry about the most is, is, is the important conversation. That I try and change the language because I, I, I often call them difficult conversations, but I have to catch myself because I think when we, when we use words like difficult or tough, we're immediately putting ourselves on, on high alert, like DEFCON, DEFCON 1. And I think by changing the language and calling them important conversations can in and of itself be a powerful way to reframe and, 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 and kind of put us in a better space and, and be more prepared to have that conversation. But yeah, you're not alone, definitely. Have you, have you got any tips for people getting started on this stuff? Tips to get started? Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, it starts with self-awareness. If if you know this is something you you struggle with, you worry about, maybe you've had a bad experience um, and it's put you off, get some support. You know, that could be a coach, it could be a mentor, there could be someone in your organisation that you think is really good at this stuff, ask them for some advice. So I think it, it starts with being honest with yourself. And if it is something you struggle with, get some help. The second thing is, if you are going to have the important conversation, the tough conversation, <clears throat> make sure you get a balance of logic and emotion. One of the things I see that can turn a tough conversation into a horrific one, like a car crash where somebody like me then ends up getting called in to try and sort it out, is where there's been a lack of evidence. Um, and so the, the, the manager or the person heading up the conversation, they've built it up, built it up, built it up. And what comes out is just like hot lava or just like, and another thing and another thing and another thing. It's, it's almost like everything's built up into this pressure but it's not backed up with specific examples um it so ends I'd up say, coming off, across as a personal attack then, doesn't absolutely it? and none of us like to be personally attacked yeah, right yeah, of course um, we don't. then you put somebody on the defensive and it just gets worse absolutely and so don't be surprised if they either clam up so you have fight flight or freeze yeah. which you'll know about so they yeah. either clam up or they're going to fight back Or in some instances, they might get up and leave the room or they might quit the organisation. And so, yeah, so so one of the things I always advise to to managers and leaders that I'm working with or that I'm coaching is make sure you've got good evidence. Yeah. um, And only, you know, don't make it a long litany, like this massive scroll of indiscretions comes out. Make it like one or two really good examples. And then the third tip I'd give, which which 
which kind of balances out the evidence is be open-minded because you might have made all sorts of assumptions um about the other person about what's you don't necessarily yeah. know what's going on that's, that's so you don't know what's weird. going on in their personal life or absolutely whatever yeah. spot on yeah. absolutely spot on so one of the things that can make a huge difference is being in a compassionate leadership mode. So being open-minded and having a genuine spirit of inquiry yeah. and making it a 50-50 conversation, you know, you know, 50% you talking, 50% listening. And, yeah. and, and the responsibility for the success of the conversation is both of your responsibility. It doesn't just rest with you. I think that makes sense. I think some... Um rudimentary management training is probably at fault for some of this stuff mm-hmm. you know i remember going go, going through enduring um it's probably the best <laughs> description some <laughs> external make it very clear that this is external training not not people within softcat um and one of the tips for having difficult conversations was it was an acronym bluff bottom line up front by which he meant go straight in you know and my sort of fairly direct robust kind of style i was like right okay you know if i'm gonna have a difficult conversation i'll just go straight in and hit them with it and everything will be fine but, you know it doesn't really work i suppose <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. mean you have to beat around the bush too much but you've got to be a little bit sort of maybe more gentle about it um and the other one was um actually counter to that was referring to the Vicky, am I allowed to use a rude word on the podcast? Referring to the shit sandwich. Oh, do you know what? I was thinking, I and, knew this would come up, uh, yeah. And, and it's just so horrible, you know. You, you're really good at this, but you're goddamn awful at that. But you're great at this. And, it, you know, it's just such a see-through. People and we know don't, it doesn't work. Yeah, and people don't react to that because it's. I think it's inauthentic, you know, it, and it's not having the the, the cojones to, um, you know, to tell them, the truth and I do think yeah. people value the truth and value appropriate feedback you've just got to maybe be not not aggressive but but and not even forceful what's the sort of phrase I'm looking for is it but, straightforward but caring yeah that's probably about right that's probably about <laughs> right yeah so really I've, got, I've got a question I've got a question on what you were just talking about. And as you started that description, Hayley, you said that there's a whole list of stuff that I'm coming at you with, with to give you feedback on. I'm really curious to get your insights on best practice around timing of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is it better to be continuously giving feedback or to hold it all up and go, right, now, now it's time to tell you all the areas where you're going to work? So the, the, my best advice, and this is this is based on not only my experience of, of having been a, a line manager, but also the people that I work with is have the conversation as close to when yeah. the issue arises or, or the thing happens. Cause the further away you get from it, it becomes less relevant. Um, memory becomes an issue for, for kind of all parties. So the closer that you can have that conversation and head things off at the pass, the better there's a balance though there's a balance because um it feels like you're nitpicking all the time if you're constantly doing it is it well not not so much that but just because the timing is right for you to have the conversation doesn't mean the person's in the right headspace so I always use the, the the kind of the martini I call it the martini um approach to to kind of having conversations and, and giving feedback so right time right place right mindsets at any time any yeah. place anywhere, but right place right, yeah, right yeah. mindset right um, 
and that's not just about you being in the right mindset but the other person so there's a sketch note that you might have seen it goes viral every time I share it which is based on Brené Brown's work in her book Dare to Lead she sets out the 10 the 10 things that tell you you're in the right mindset to give feedback um, and have a have a tough conversation um and uh I think that's a good checklist to live by yeah brilliant so um so yeah there's a there's a sketch note I've created and people go crazy for it every time I share it but it I always say to managers use this as a checklist are you in the right headspace to have this conversation and 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 for that conversation to go well so perhaps we could include it in the show notes if that's okay perfect yeah, yeah yeah super I'm really keen to learn about the framework that you're telling me about when we when we had the call earlier in the week. So, um, so there's a there's a framework that that I've taught hundreds of, of managers and leaders called Support Challenge Framework, and there's a free download on my website. Um, there's a step by step guide that I've created. It it kind of links to the work that Amy Edmondson done has done on psychological safety, but it's based on this idea that when we get the the right balance of support and challenge in a way that works for the other person they're much more likely to to feel energized and committed and safe Uh, and when we feel psychologically safe that means we're more likely to be creative and engage and communicate but one of the one of the things one of the most common traps that I see many managers and leaders fall into and I include myself in this because we're all human is when we're when we're juggling so much when we're so busy what can end up happening is we default um to the easiest thing to do and and often the easiest thing for us to do is to manage people in the way that we like to be or want to be managed but but every human is different and so um what can end up happening is we are too challenging for someone and they feel we're not giving them enough support and, and that puts them in what we call the high stress zone and if a person is there all the time, that can then end up leading to acute stress, which leads to all sorts of health and mental issues and subsequently burnout, meaning that they could leave the organisation. Um, and in some instances, as we, I think we saw from a case earlier this year, can never work again. That's that's like an extreme example. Um, you've, you've then got the other extreme where maybe you're maybe the person feels that you're or you're giving too much support you're being you know you're wrapping them in cotton wool and you're not actually challenging enough and we all need a degree of challenge to do our best work um and when when you're in that space we call that the high comfort zone um it's like being wrapped it's like that lemsip advert you know a wonderful hug in a mug and um we call that the rust out zone because the the person your your direct report starts losing their skills and knowledge because you're not challenging or pushing them enough. And then you have what we call the apathetic zone where there's just very little of anything. It's a bit meh. Um, And often what I see there, I've I've only come across one case in my career um, where there was a whole team in the apathetic zone. There was very little to no support, very little to no challenge. And that's because the the head, the the boss had burnt out. They were in the burnout. So they had nothing left to give. Um, and so this framework, um, I've created some statements for people to work through on a one-to-one basis with each direct report. And the, the point I make in the guide is it should be a two-way conversation. It's not just about you as the manager understanding what kind of support the person needs and what, what's the best way to challenge them in a way that means they won't get defensive. 
They need to know how you as the manager can be challenged. They need to know the rules of the game for that. It keeps them safe. And they need to understand how you want to be supported as well. So I'm always really careful to say to the people that I work with, this has to be a two-way conversation and it shouldn't be a one-off. So um, a bit like the David Brent thing, you go on a training course, you get super excited, you go back and you do it to everyone and then you never do it again. And what I say to managers, if if you're going to use the support challenge framework, make sure you're, you're using it a few times a year. Um, because things change for someone. Someone might need less support or support in certain ways, and then something's going on for them and, and they need something different from you. But if you're not facilitating that conversation, how the hell are you going to know? That's really, really fascinating. There the sermon. No, it's really fascinating. Where, I mean, where you started describing those zones, you know, when we had that first conversation about, I, I told you about Beacon Force, mm. that's what it does. It knows what zones to put you in based on the questions that you answer. So um, I definitely, it just reminded me, I haven't sent you the link to it to have a look at. So Beacon Force, if any of you guys are listening, I am going to follow up, I promise. Um, <laughs> uh, but the the tool that you've got, so there's when in prepping for this i was thinking about two different types of conversation so there's the conversation where you are having a robust discussion about an idea or you're trying to take a new objective and you're brainstorming in that and you've got robust discussion there so that's that's one piece but then the other is when somebody hasn't done something or it's holding them accountable and what it's it's absolutely unbelievable all the tech scale-ups that we're working with at the minute the number one thing they want to address is accountability and everybody wants to jump straight to accountability these are sales organizations they all want to jump to accountability and we know that you can't jump to accountability that you need to start with trust and people need to hear that they feel like they've been heard um and then gain commitment to be able to do the accountability piece but actually then when when it, let's imagine it's a perfect world and all the trust is in place and everybody feels like they've been heard and they're all committed and they've got completely complete clarity to what they're being held accountable for but they still haven't done what you need then you've got a right to hold them accountable mm-hmm. that's a totally different type of conversation isn't it to the talking about a purpose because it's more personal mm-hmm. and that's where this framework comes in have I got that right yeah, yeah, you have. The, the, other, the, the thing you've just made me think of around accountability, it's a really interesting one, and I'm sure you find this in the work that you do as well. It can be an e- another easy trap for a leader to fall into. When they're thinking about and they want their team members to be more accountable, they put all the emphasis um, on the team on the behaviours that they need to display and the things they need to do. But the leader is part of the equation as well. And you better be, you better be really sure that your behaviour as the leader and what you are role modelling marries with your expectations of accountability. Because one of the, one of the, the things that I see happen with some of the organisations and teams that I work with is the leader will say to me, oh, my team's not accountable enough. And when I go in, back in the olden days when I used to go to places, um, but when I observe um, conversation, team conversations and, and project meetings and, and so on and so forth, 
what I what I see is a leader who's micromanaging. Well, no wonder yeah. your team's not taking accountability because why the hell do they need to? Because you're doing everything. And you're telling them what to do versus... And you're them. on their case all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. what are you going to do? What are you going to change? What are you going to work on as well as expecting your team to work yeah. on? So, yeah, I see, I see again, and, and it's not about, you know, casting assertions or anything because we're all human. We all have our little things that we need to work on. But that's a common one. That is the finger pointing at the... Yeah, they're not accountable yeah, yeah. when actually it starts with you pointing the finger at yourself and, and, first and funnily enough I've got the same story but with a different type of leader so it was a leader that was saying that the team just weren't delivering at all but he was so big picture and they were they were this was a team of engineers they were so analytical they didn't understand what he wanted them to do so every, I interviewed 14 people I only needed to interview three because it was then consistent we need clarity we need clarity. And so because they didn't know what was expected of them, they were absolutely paralysed, which is why clarity is one of our main um, pillars. Well, there's another three. There's another free download on my website, which is about clarifying expectations. So if you're being delegated to. So this is one that I share with leaders, anybody who's, a, who's kind of line managing. If one of your frustrations is you're delegating something to someone and they don't quite deliver it in the way or or on time or whatever. And so they're not you know, being accountable. I encourage uh, people to share this checklist with their teams because it's a checklist of questions. So when you're being delegated to by your boss, you've got a list of questions to ask them to make sure you've covered every base and you're understanding what quality looks like, what exactly is it the person's expecting. um, And that can help iron out and head off any confusion and misunderstanding which is at the heart of issues which require yeah. tough conversations. Yeah. It's, it's just so making it all conscious, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'm all about dealing with the root causes. Um, I think the tough conversation is often dealing with the symptom. It's, it's arising. Yes. What, what's that, gone on that's led yeah. to that conversation that needs to take place? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and in fact, one of the teams that we're working with, accountability has been highlighted as the challenge. But if you look... And you go back through the assessment that we've done, it actually starts with the right people aren't in the room to start with to have the discussion. <laughs> so we're right back at the beginning. And that's actually what we're focusing on. Yeah. And, and this will speak to your audience. You know, you're you're all tech experts listening to this or, or kind of associated yeah. with that field. And yeah. this is about reverse engineering. I'm, you know, I'm all about reverse engineering. What's what's got us to this point? Let's let's go back to the, the, the root cause. Yeah. And see yeah. If we can deal with that. Yeah, that makes yeah, no. that makes sense. So, other, if you're just trying to fix the symptoms, you're never really going to solve the problem. No, and and funnily enough, when we, when we talked about it, because I've done a pre workshop with the leadership team, they actually said, "We've done this already," and I'm like, "But you still not solved the problem because they're still <laughs> trying to be here versus exactly. actually getting to the root cause." So, yeah, sorry, we digressed a little bit there, but it's a bit of digression isn't a bad thing, is it? Um, as long yeah. as it's a value, it doesn't matter. Well, exactly. It's a, it's a, I'm sure it's of use. So fantastic. So we best uh, we best move to your three key takeaways, if you don't mind, Haley. Just uh, three or as, as many as you like tips for our listeners. And and can I just clarify? Because we like clarifying. This is three key takeaways to have. I've learned already, Haley. Important conversations. 
<laughs> not difficult conversations. Yes. <laughs> making making um, important conversations easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I've given you some already, but our, yeah. I think just to just to kind of reiterate, um, I think being the right mindset. So um, be intentional about the outcome you want to achieve from the conversation. Um, I shared something on Instagram today, actually, about a little framework that can just put you in the right mindset. Um, Because there's nothing worse. If you're in back-to-back meetings, for example, and that first meeting gets you in a bad mood and then it's a cumulative effect and then you've booked in um, this important conversation and you've not given yourself space or time, I think we know where that's going to go. And so actually making sure that you are in the right mindset um, to achieve the outcome that you need to achieve from that conversation is important. Um, And uh, the second is practice. So I suppose similar to my my point earlier about getting support, um, if if it's a conversation that is filling you with fear, you are really worried it's, it's, it's in danger of escalating out of control or, or something. Um, why not practice with a trusted colleague, a trusted peer, so somebody at your level? Um, this, is, this is something that lots of my clients and indeed managers that used to report into me found really helpful. Um, it's just kind of having that dry run. Because once you yeah. have that dry run, it's almost like you demystify it. You take a little bit of, yeah. the, of the fear out of it. Um, and the, and the third is um, be respectful of the other person. Give them a heads up. Nobody likes surprises. And so if the person's got no idea what the hell it is you're going to talk to them about, um, they're going to respond in a number of ways. So at least have the courtesy of giving them an idea of what it is you're going to talk about. So that they can prepare too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because if you don't, nine times out of ten, it's probably not going to go the way that you intended to, even with the best intentions. So yeah, have a bit of respect for the other person. Heard a tip from a coaching perspective of, and I'm I'm not a coach and I never profess to be a coach, more of a team coach than an individual coach, but actually imagining somebody sat in the chair and telling them and then saying, right, how would you feel? What If you were watching that conversation, what, what would you have? So so that's that's a different way of doing that practice, isn't it? That's a really that's that's a really powerful um, technique as well. So we we call that the chair, right. the chair technique. So you can yeah. actually physically sit in another chair and be the other person. Um, and and again, this is one of the things that Brené Brown says. Well, and it, not just Brené, people like Kim Scott with Radical Candor yeah. and yeah. other experts around important conversations. Um, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Have a bit of empathy. Um, for them particularly if you are more senior than them you know immediately there's a power disparity there and that could make them feel anxious they could feel on edge you know don't underestimate the impact of your positional power um, as well and and how that can impact the room and the other person or persons if you're feeding back to more than one yeah yeah no absolutely that makes loads of sense so are we, are we up to team experience time? I think we're up to team experience time, Ricky. Wonderful. I'll let, I'll, you. I'll let you take over for that bit as it's your thing. It is my thing. Um, so, um, Hayley, as, as I mentioned to you before, so in the tech industry, there is a massive amount of emphasis on customer experience and employee experience. For us, the bit that's missing is team experience. So we have 
trademarked team experience and we're just trying to get the message out and in fact even today we've we have um a program for team x champions so team experience champions just even having to explain what that is because so people don't understand what it is which is we have to work at it don't we so team experiences is what we're all about um what does team experience mean to you so um, I, I, run a, I run a program about how to build a high-performing team and, and you'll have seen the free workbook on my website. But I have, thank you very much. I've moved yeah, some so things I, out I, of it. Lovely. So I draw on around six decades of psychological research into teams, which over the decades consistently shows the same thing again and again when it comes to great teams. And... Um, the three things I draw from that is, and, and, and what I say to the people that I work with, there's an X factor for, for great teams, for that, that wonderful team experience, um, which is the X factor is people like each other. Um, and you can't, always, you can't always account for that. What you can do is put the effort into helping people get to know each other. So we know from lots of research that the more familiar people are with each other, the more likely they are to trust each other and the greater the performance is likely to be. Um, and so it all starts with being intentional. And, you know, I'm working with a leader at the moment and we've, we've, I've worked with him to plan out a whole year of team building activity. I'm not talking about going and swinging from a tree no. in the middle of some woods somewhere or singing combined first I'm and getting to know each other deliberately absolutely so a combination of social events a combination of you know strategy sessions um some of them are an hour some of them are a day some of them are informal formal but actually not just leaving it to chance yeah um, so yeah so 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 creating spaces where people can get to know each other and subsequently hopefully end up liking each other um the, the second thing for me, um, again, from my own experience of working in teams, particularly responding to crisis or emergency situations, is everyone has each other's backs. Um, people will roll their sleeves up readily. Um, they, they won't need to be asked and they certainly won't need to be asked twice. People absolutely look out for each other. And if they can spot somebody struggling, they'll automatically offer to yeah. help. We actually, when, we, when we first coined the phase team experience, what does it feel like? that that was like the top of the list yeah if, if somebody you can see somebody's in a, in a bad place you just offer help absolutely and then the yeah. third and, and final one that i i would say is everyone has a, has skin in the game everyone owns the success of the team it doesn't just sit with the team leader yeah it's collective okay. everybody is invested in the team's reputation in the team doing well and that will look slightly different for each person. You know, not everybody's going to be this cheerleader, like, whoa. Um, but it is possible to create a, a, a team where everybody, in their own unique way, helps the team's success. It doesn't just sit with the manager. Brilliant. That's what that is wonderful. And it's, it's so wonderful to do this with you because... You've, you, as you said at the start, you're a practitioner. So you've got all of the research that backs up what we teach. Yeah. I, I remember listening to, uh, um, I think it's probably one of my favourite podcasts and it's between Adam Grant and Simon Sinek. Yeah. I just absolutely love it because Simon's saying, I saw you as a rival, but actually you've, you just have all the facts and everything that backs up my stories. So I have all these stories, but clearly 
I have to come to find people like you to back it up with facts. So um, I'm not saying I'm Simon Sinek, by the way. That is not the point. That I've made. <laughs> no, I'm definitely <laughs> not Adam. <laughs> but you did get a publication. You, you have got I an did. illustration he in his book, to, haven't you? Yeah, he asked to use wow, one of his cool. in his latest book. Yes, Amazing. Really cool. That's really cool. So 60 years of research, 22 years of bitter experience. Maybe not that bitter, probably very enjoyable experience, but match that, meld that together and you've got something special, right? Yeah, and I think it's why people like yourselves and myself, I think, I think when you have something unique and special to offer, I think that's why organisations will come asking for support around teams. It's, it's, it's the thing that I'm asked for help with the most, which is how do I create a high-performing team? Um, the book, the ebook, is the, is one of the most downloaded resources, and you know I've got a lot of free resources. That's one of the yeah, most downloaded yeah. or requested um, on my website, and that tells me something that um, lots of managers and leaders want support with making their teams the best they can possibly be. We really appreciate you taking the time for us today. Thank you. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. I love talking about this stuff, as you can probably. I could, I could go on forever. <laughs> as I said to you the other day, yeah, we all could. We all myself. Could. <laughs> I find that very hard to believe, but we'd love to have you back if you don't mind. Yeah, no, that would be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy. Yeah, so. Thank you. Thank great. you. Great. Well, we'll, you'll, we'll be back for a second dose of Haley. You heard it here first. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so that concludes our thirtieth episode. Who'd have thought we'd have got that far? just remains for me to say thanks for listening to get amplified from the amplified group as always your comments and your subscriptions are most gratefully received uh, so this is actually the last episode in season two we will be back in the very near future with with season three uh, and we're slightly changing the format so we're going to keep our guests to about 30 minutes this time rather than sort of 45 we've been targeting um, so we'll hope that you will continue to enjoy those when we're back for season three <laughs>